Good morning, everyone. It is really, really, really wonderful to see you all bright, smiley, happy faces on such a beautiful day. And uh, we're going to, as Jasmine's already pointed out, we are about to start a whole new series for Christmas. It's, ja- it's December, and um, I'm going to be a sports sport and say January's just around the corner. And um, so you'll all be a year older very shortly, um, as well as I will. But uh, let me pray. I want to pray before we get started. Pray for our kids that have headed off to Sunday school and creche. And let's pray for ourselves as we look into the Word of God. Father, we thank you for our children. We thank you, Father, for the teachers and those that are given the task of equipping our church family today with your Word. May your word speak to us, Father. May your voice be speaking as we open up our spiritual ears to listen to what you are teaching us and showing us. And may your wonderful word resonate with our spirit, Father, today, that we might implement that as we leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. It is beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. Someone should write a song like that, I think. Some of you musical people, I think you would do a good job. Advertising, Christmas trees, Christmas paper, Christmas presents, Christmas lights, Christmas rush, everything. It's everywhere. But those things are the way that we celebrate Christmas. They are not Christmas. And I think as, a, as Christians, we, we understand that while Christmas is important for us as Christians, those things that we do to celebrate Christmas may very well be important. And even the birth of Jesus, though, while it is a very significant and important part of history and significant in God's plan for salvation and for mankind, It's not the most important part of Scripture. The birth of Jesus, while important, is not the focal point of the Scriptures at all. And so we need to, I think it's important to celebrate the beginning and why Jesus came because I think it's kind of significant that we have a manger scene and a cross right beside it. Because without the cross, the manger scene is nothing. And without the, the manger scene, the cross wouldn't have happened. So, so this is a whole picture of, of why we celebrate Christmas, because it comes as a package. It doesn't, it's not pulling out the birth of Jesus and celebrating and thinking that's the important part. But it's, it's a whole package. It does provide us Christmas and celebrating Christmas does provide us with an incredible assurance that God does not forget his promises. And we'll look at that this morning because this uh, Christmas tree is the series title that we are going to be looking at over the next four Sundays. And Christmas Day falls on a Sunday, so that makes everything work out evenly and that makes me happy. So while all four Gospels record the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, only Matthew and Luke record the birth. He 
He, the birth, you will not find anything about the birth of Jesus in, in, Matthew, uh, in Mark and, and John. So what that shows us is that it's the importance in some way, but it also what Luke and Matthew show us is the incredible accuracy that the prophets or the prophets' words from the Old Testament. There are hundreds of prophecies that were fulfilled at the time Jesus was born. And if Jesus had never come, those prophecies would still be lingering. And we would wonder whether Jesus, God ever kept his promises. So the birth of Jesus in one sense is a very important part for us to know that he does. We're told in Scripture that his promises, God's promises, are always yes and amen. They will come to pass. And one of my favourite things at Christmas, and I'm not a big fan of all the worldly stuff of Christmas, and I'm sure many of you are not, but, but one of the favourite times for me at Christmas is not the Christmas decorations, but my time that I get to spend with my family. I love the noise momentarily, <laughs> but I do love the noise. I, I love that the ex I probably create most of the noise. I'm in trouble for that most of the time. Granddad, would you just keep quiet? Uh, that's my voice, my wife's voice that said that. I love the, the excitement of the grandchildren. I love the talk around the, the Christmas dinner table. I love the listening to my children interacting with each other and having those building those memories and, and recalling memories from their past. And I also think about my own mum and my dad and my brother and two sisters and just remember some of the things that have gone on in my life as the Christmases have progressed. And I think it's important for us to recall some of that heritage that has been passed on to us. You are going to be different to me, but your heritage is important. So as we enter into this Christmas season, I want to talk about not Christmas trees, but family trees and the importance of our heritage. And we're going to, over the next four weeks, focus on portions to go through the entire family tree of Jesus on Mary and Joseph's side would take way too long. And we're going to be taking significant moments in time as we go through Jesus's family tree. And we've all had, we've all got a heritage, good and bad. There's things that have happened in your life that you wish hadn't. And there's things that you have really enjoyed, you wish you could repeat. You are not here on this planet by accident. You are here with a purpose. God has pre been preparing you for this moment in time. Do not think, I hear people say sometimes that I was born years too early or I was born too late. I should have been born last century. You were born for this moment in time. It, was not a it is not a mistake that you are here in this period of time with all the technology. And by the way, don't worry about your grandchildren because sometimes we do, oh, how are they going to cope? They are being prepared for such a time as this. They are far more aware and, and able to use an iPad than I could at six. 
I didn't even know the word iPad at six. Neither did most of you. And yet I watched my grandchildren. <laughs> and they're like. It's, it's amazing how quickly they learn technology. So don't concern yourself. Be concerned about their spiritual well-being, but they will cope. Our responsibility in the process of this is to train up our children in the way of the Lord. And when they are older, they will not depart from it. So when they, when they are being taught, when they have been taught the scriptural values of what it means to live as a Christ follower, as a Christian, then they will be able to recall and implement that into their world when you're long gone. And we need to recognise that our children are a blessing from the Lord and grandchildren more so, I believe. God is at work and he is preparing and has already in some ways prepared us for what we need and what our children will need in their future. They are born for such a time as this. So our responsibility, as I said, is to train them up in the way and the knowledge and the wisdom of the Lord so that when they're old enough, they will know how to train up their children and equip their children for the generations to come. That's our role as parents. And as teenagers and young people, your role, our role is to, to look up and learn and to listen and to learn everything that we can because you are entering into a generation and things that are going to happen in your life that your parents have never entered into. They will go through it with you for parts of it, but it's going to get harder for them than it is for you. So let's listen and work together. So over these next four weeks, I want to be looking at the earthly heritage of Jesus and the way that God prepared in advance for each generation in a way that was going to prepare for the coming Messiah because we're going to read it in a moment, but right from the beginning, the Messiah was promised. It's, it was, wasn't a last-minute ditch account for God to say, oh, what are we going to do? His family tree, Jesus' family tree, is rather colourful, by the way. It's, it's made up of... It has a, a number of kings, both good and bad kings, in his heritage. He has farmers. He has prostitutes. He has Gentiles and Jews. And a whole stack of just ordinary people in the earthly heritage that Jesus came into. That should give us a huge hope because I'm, not, I'm pretty sure that your heritage is not always been perfect. Mine certainly hasn't been. And yet God brought the Messiah through an imperfect level of generations to bring the change that needed to happen at the right time. Maybe your time is now. So I want to go right back to the beginning. Turn with me. It'll be on the screen. But if you've got your scriptures and you want to follow along, Genesis 1, verse 1. That shouldn't be too hard to find. It recounts for us, 1 and 2 actually, it recounts for us the beginning or the story of the creation of our universe. 
it lays out very clearly in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I don't want to get into that verse too much this morning. Just take from that that it was God who created the heavens and the earth. There's a lot more in it than that, but that's where we're staying with today. And so the first point that I want you to fill in if you've got your sermon notes is we are created in the image of God. We'll get to that verse in a minute. But out of all of creation, out of all of creation, it was mankind that received the blessing of God that we were created very good. We are blessed by him. Out of all of creation, we are the only ones that as described as being formed from the dust of this earth and being breathed into, or life being breathed into us. Every other part was created, finished. But we have the breath of God to bring life into us. Adam and Eve were created from the dust of this earth, we are told. Or Adam was and Eve from, from the rib of Adam. The only part of creation where the whole process is, is mentioned is right there in Genesis 1 where we are the breath or we have the breath of God. You have that in you. Eve is made from the rib of Adam and again God brought life into her and he presented her to Adam and this was no ordinary creation. It was very specific. It was very precise. And it was very perfect. In fact, I don't think I need the word very there because perfect means perfect, right? It was perfect. Adam and Eve, imagine that. In the Garden of Eden, everything is perfect. They have everything before them. They see the hand of God. They see everything. They've, Adam has been given the role of naming all of these animals and, and plants and they know everything about God that they need to know. And that was because in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, it says, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals of the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. We are created in the image of God. Do you remember in the New Testament where Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees and said, you, you, should you pay taxes or not? His response to the Pharisees was, show me a denarius. And he, they gave him a coin and he says, whose image is on that? And it's Caesar's image on the coin. And Jesus says to them, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but render unto God what is God's. What did he mean by that? 
This verse tells us exactly what he meant because we are created in his image. Let's give ourselves to him. That's what he was saying. The coin can go to Caesar, but our life should be going to God because we are created in the image of God. And Adam was the first in the earthly line. Let's remember it's an earthly line, not the full line, but the earthly line of the descendants of Jesus. And he was given authority over everything that was created. But then we get to Genesis chapter 3. And we read in Genesis 3 verse 1, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Right there, right there, the woman begins a conversation with Eve that concludes with her eating the forbidden fruit that God had said not to. A question for you to ponder is, why do you think he went to Eve and not Adam? We're not going to answer it. I want you to think about it. What just happened in that process? Didn't we, we just read that man was to have dominion over all the wild animals, over all the birds of the sea and everything that roamed the earth? Didn't we just read that? So wasn't the serpent itself subject to Adam and Eve? What just happened in that moment of time? It seems that the serpent seems to exert this authority over them that he had no right to, to have over them anyway. So even in this earthly genealogy of Jesus Christ, we find this defiance or this unwillingness to, to completely obey God. They knew what they were supposed to do. Adam and Eve are on both sides of Jesus' genealogy, both Mary and Joseph. Let's leave Joseph out of it for a little while, but he's, he's there at the beginning. So, so why did that happen? Well, there were consequences, which is the next word you need to fill in, consequences of sin. And what we realise very quickly is that just because we come from a genealogy of imperfect people, that doesn't dictate that our life needs to repeat the problems that our ancestors have done, have made. Just because you've had a bad heritage or your ancestors have not always followed the Lord or they've not always done what they're supposed to do, that doesn't dictate what your future holds for you. We all have a choice. How do I know that? Because we've read before, we're created in the image of God and he chooses. So we have the choice to choose at that moment in time. The problem that we have is is while we, are, we, insist on, we insist on doing our things our own way, while we live in this world, if we de deny God in our life, we will find ourselves on this path away from him rather than toward him. We do inherit one, that problem. We call it... The sin, uh, we call it sin, but the problem has, is realistically insisting on serving self. I want, I need, give me, 
That's the problem. That's the sin problem because we see in Genesis 3 where Eve looked and saw that the fruit was good for food. And there we go. Of Genesis 2 says, The Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. You shall not eat. From that, for in that day you will eat, sorry, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. The death that was going to be part of the curse for all generations. You and I are under that curse today because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. And this is confirmed to us in Romans because Romans 5 says, Therefore, just as, one, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, that's Adam, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. All of us have that sin nature. All of us have this bent towards insisting that I get my own way. Will you get your own way? Will you give me my own way? And at the moment that Adam and Eve ate the fruit, the connection that they had with God the Father through the Spirit died right at that moment. No longer was there any guidance from within because they had made a distinct choice to choose their own destiny here. They knew what was to happen if they ate of that fruit. They knew what God had said, yet they denied him anyway. They chose to go their own way. And it caused them to make choices that they should never have made. And from that point on, their mind, their will, and their emotions were all about self-preservation. Because suddenly they realised they didn't have any clothes on. Up until that moment, they didn't need any clothes on. But at that moment, their eyes were opened and God lays down some things for them later on. But we recognise that God, the, their eyes were opened to this whole world of what I can do for me, which is where we find ourselves today. And in Genesis 3, God lays down further consequences for choosing our own way, apart from the fact that we, we have broke or the, the relationship with God was broken and death entered into us and our bodies will deteriorate as we get older. There were further consequences. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you, <clears throat> excuse me, in toil you shall eat of all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. But the good news, there is good news, because the good news is that from Genesis 3, 
15. That's the key verse. If you don't know it, memorise it. But Genesis 3, 15 onward, God introduces our Saviour, Jesus Christ. So while sin may have been in us at that point, while we have might have insisted on our own way, God instituted his plan or implemented his plan at that point. And in Genesis 3.15, we read these words, and I will put, God speaking, enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What is absolutely astonishing is that in this process of judgment for man's sinfulness is that everything, everything but the couple themselves were cursed. The couple weren't cursed. The people, the human beings were not cursed. What we had to do was cursed or what we had to be part of was cursed, but we ourselves were not cursed before God. Instead, God promises something. He promises that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the house of the serpent or the wicked. We recognise this as Satan. And it would be at a great cost to himself because it tells us that his heel would be struck. So we realise that this this seed would would come, but there would be a cost. His heel would be struck in the process. It will hurt. And right there, while the name Jesus is not mentioned, we are given some clues that this is Jesus Christ himself. Because how do we recognise that these things are happening? While Jesus is not mentioned, the clues are that this would be a miraculous birth. How do I know that? Because Women don't have seed, the man carries the seed. And yet look what God says, the seed between your seed to Satan and her seed. That's something special. How does she bring forth a, a child when she doesn't carry that part? That's telling me that there is a miraculous part to this birth of Jesus Christ or, or to the Messiah. Leave Jesus' name out of it right at the moment. And women don't carry the seed. The man carries the seed. So for the seed of the woman to bring forth the one who would be against Satan, it actually implies that this is going to be something special, something miraculous in Genesis 3. This offspring of the woman would crush the head of of Satan. And it would be at a great cost, as I said, because his heel would be struck. And here we have not just the promise of the miraculous birth, but there would be victorious suffering for this Messiah, this one who would crush the head. It's in Genesis 3 for us to see. And from that point on in Scriptures, from Genesis 3, 15 onward, we see that every promise that God makes from that point on, in fact, even before, but from that point, leads us straight back to the promise of Genesis 3.15. Every promise relates back to this verse. 
It's about Jesus Christ. It's about the Messiah. It's going to be he have victory in Christ. It's going to be a miraculous birth. It's going to be something special. It's going to be the seed of the woman, not the seed of the man. And God implemented all these things through the course of history and continues to do so today and will continue to do until Jesus comes back. The promise of the coming Messiah and the preparation that needed to happen in order for that to happen is also there for us to see that the second coming of Jesus has already been promised as well. And we need to know that. We weren't there at the beginning of Jesus' earthly birth, but we are living in this time where we look forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ and preparation needs to be done. The promises are all yes and amen. In other words, they're all absolutely true, what the Scriptures tell us. So thirdly, conditions of restoration, the conditions. How do we get restored? Because we, we blew it in the beginning. There are consequences for our sinfulness. What are the conditions for restoration? The first reference, Jesus Christ, becomes apparent that God has not forgotten or ignored the plight of mankind. It, you wonder... Well, I don't wonder too much because I pretty much know. Did God really anticipate that we would have this problem? I'm pretty sure he did. That's why the plan didn't catch him out. It wasn't by surprise. Adam and Eve were ashamed at their sin and they, they tried to cover themselves up with fig leaves. And soon they're, they're cloaking themselves in fig leaves to cover up the shame that had come upon them because now their eyes were open and their understanding had been broadened to a point where shame wasn't part of their life before that. Shame hadn't even be entered into their thinking before that. But now it did. And their attempt to manage their sin by, by hiding their, their badness and projecting this false goodness, it's okay, we're covered up with fig leaves. The Lord, though, had a different solution for them. He covers them not with vegetation but with skins. And we're not told what animal he slaughtered. I kind of like to think it was a lamb, but it, there's no proof of that. But he covered them with skins of a slaughtered animal. The first of the death of creation. Because of our sinfulness. But what begins at that point is the need for this the shedding of blood this sacrifice to, to cover fully the shame and those things that came upon us at that point in time in history and we still wear that burden. We still have it. And what Adam and Eve did for themselves was not sufficient and what the Lord did was to set the stage for the restoration that Jesus would eventually do for us in full. And what also becomes clear at this point is that is the means that we, we can't be 
forgiven of our sin by doing things for ourselves. We can't earn our way to freedom. We can't earn our way to salvation by covering up or doing things to cover up our sinfulness. But God does. He provides a way for us to do that. He provides a a covering to cover up that pride and shame and, and those things that come as a result of that. Because in Genesis 4, we read the first of the the human slaughter where it says, God says to Cain, he says, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out because sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. You must subdue it and be its master. The first generation after Adam, sin is becoming really evident. We insist on doing things our own way. We could spend a whole message on that one verse as well. But we insist on doing things our own way, but we don't want to do things God's way. What God makes abundantly clear in that passage or that verse is that there is a, it is possible to subdue the sin that we have. It's possible. Otherwise, he wouldn't say that. You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. We have the authority in Jesus' name to subdue, to live without sin. That's why Jesus told two women in the, in the New Testament, go and sin no more. We have that authority in Jesus' name to do that. And God, it's also clear that God's grace was being offered to Cain at this point. Here's God's gracious nature. Cain, don't do what you're thinking of doing. If you just stop and turn around and do what's right, it'll be okay. The act of grace of God. God's willingness to forgive and restore has always been central to the scriptures and central to his purpose for mankind. Paul makes this clear in Romans 6. He says, do not let sin control the way that you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead. But now you have a new life. We died through sin, but restoration comes because God gives us a new life and we are new creation. So use now as this new life, use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Because sin is no longer your master. Genesis 4 One, God warns Cain the same thing. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. When we subdue the sin, we recognise God's grace or we live under the grace of God. 
And you know what are the, the conditions or you know the conditions of restoration or you should or, or many of you will. But the first one is that we need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, it tells us. That means obey him. The word believe is not just know that he exists. The word, the, the Greek word believe in this case means to fully obey. So obey, believe in him, put your faith in him and obey what he's doing. What God was asking of Cain was that he was to agree with God that his, this, of the seriousness of what was about to take place and turn from his wickedness. That's what he was asking Cain to do. We, in this culture, need to believe in Jesus and agree with him that we have wronged God by our sinful behaviour. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Living our life for ourselves and in disobedience to the word of God. We, we do that. The first steps of being restored is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to turn away from our sin. We've read it a couple of times. The word that we have is repent. There is no real forgiveness without repentance. So often we forget this repentance. It's not just being sorry. It's about turning away and not returning to that. It's, it's making a decision. I will not do this Again, and by the grace of God and the help of the Holy Spirit within us, we have the ability to subdue the sin and to be the master over it. That's repentance. We are asked in Scripture, but through the, through the Word of God, as Cain was actually asked, to master that desire for sin. And sin is constantly crouching at our door. It's constantly before us. You and I are making decision after decision, hundreds, perhaps thousands of decisions every single day of what we should or should not do. Sin is crouching at the door. But God not only forgives, but he also provides the help through the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, we are to confess and agree with the Lord that these matters, that we can have victory in the Lord Jesus. We need to believe, we need to, to repent and we need to confess and agree with him and we have him living in us. We can be restored. So what do all these things have to do with Christmas and, and why do they really matter in the genealogy of Jesus Christ? It's that God knows your past. He knows your heritage. He knows from where you have come. He knows the difficulties, the strengths, the joys, all of those things. He knows what you have gone through to be here. And he has given you everything that you need in order to glorify him and live according to his purposes. You don't have to replicate the past you don't have to be repeating the things that, that you grew up with or your, your ancestors had, those sorts of things. You have the choice. I have the choice to determine my future decisions. That's what I said right at the beginning. Our role as parents is to train up our children for the same things. 
Let's not deny what our job is. He understands the mind of man. The scriptures tell us he knows the mind of man and it's evil. And it's bent toward evil right from childhood. Yet he allowed the heritage, his heritage, to be his heritage. And the very fact that the seed of the woman and not the seed of the man meant that we, the inherent sin of every human being, is born with because of that. That's why. If it was the seed of man, it would have stopped at that generation. And while Jesus was born without sin, the sin nature, because he was born of God, he still needed to choose not to sin. Because Adam and Eve were born, created without sin. And yet they sinned. Jesus was born without sin, but chose not to sin, proving once and for all that with the Holy Spirit's power, we have the ability to master the temptation of sin or the sin temptation that is before us. It's nothing that you need to give in to. Hebrews 4 tells us the high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. That's Jesus Christ understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And when we accept Jesus Christ into our life, we are saying that we want him to be our master. We want him to become our servant. Sorry, we want to become his servant. We want him to become our master. We're not a servant by force, but we are a servant by choice. I'm not made to serve him because that wouldn't be love at all. That wouldn't be anything of my doing. I am, I choose to serve him. It's not going to go well with the society we live in, by the way. You're going to be seen as a bit weird, crazy, and a few other words thrown in there, but it's, it's, it's not the, it's, it's the best choice that we can make. Because when we choose to become his servant, when we choose by choice to serve him, knowing that he is the perfect master and loves us and will do everything that is right for us, we can have peace and we can live life to the full, knowing that everything is okay despite what everything else is going on. And before we accept Jesus, we were slaves to sin. When we accept Jesus, we become free. So Romans 6 tells us you are now free from the power of sin and have become slaves to God by choice. Now you do those things that lead to holiness because we choose to serve God. And his desire is that we become holy and we live holy lives do the things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God brought good out of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He set it up right from the beginning to prove not just his power and authority but his love for mankind. He had the opportunity at Adam to destroy everything. He had the opportunity any day he wants, but he didn't. 
Your heritage does not determine your future. Your past is not a glimpse into your future, but a place from which we begin our future. And we all make mistakes or we do all do things that we wish we, we really hadn't done. We say things, things come out in our thought life. And sometimes those things do have long-lasting consequences. But the things that you and I do in our past are what we used to do. They're not what we now need to do. They're not who you are and they're not who I am now because you are a new creation created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he has prepared in advance for you to do. You are an amazing creation. You are not here by accident. You are loved by God. You are at the right time in history with a purpose to fulfil the plan that he has for you. So whether you're 6 or 60 or 160, I know that God is going to use you. And while you draw breath, you have purpose. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your love and your care and attention to detail right from the beginning. As we look at Adam and Eve and we look at Cain and Abel and we see, Father, that that the consequences of a parent can have dire things on our children. We want to pray. I pray today, Father, for, for the parents here today that the consequences of our sinful actions in our past might have not been carried on or would not be carried on to our children today because of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your word tells us that the sins of the Father will be carried, but, Father, that can be broken in Jesus' name. And I pray today for our our young people that you would instill in them a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, not just to be caught up in the culture, not to to desire the things of this world, but, Father, to know with, with complete fullness that you are their God today. Help them to be obedient to their parents. Your word tells us so that they might live a long life. Help us as parents to train up our children and to be the grandparents to these children that we need to be so that when they grow up, they might know you and and trust you and serve you as their king. Father, each of us as parents and grandparents today, I pray that you would instill us in us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent of those things, confess and believe and accept and agree with, with you that sin is not right, sin is not good, but you have provided a way out through the blood of Jesus Christ, the cross that we celebrate at Easter is a result of the birth that we have here today or that we celebrate today. So, Father, while behind me we have a manger and a cross, I thank you for the earthly completeness of that and what it means for us today to know you, that you were born into this world as a, as a human being, fully human, 
yet fully God. Bless each one, Father, as we enter into our world this week. Give us encouragements, blessings, but Father, help us to be able to to subdue the sinful temptations that come before us, that we might be rejoicing this time next week as we celebrate the, the, tr- the love that you have for us and your hand upon us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.